is from the book of uh, Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, we, we come to the next step of the story that we've been following ever since we, we came uh, into the book of Luke and after Christmas, uh, the story of, of walking with Jesus, and now the story of walking on the way of faith. So let's hear these words from Galatians chapter 3, uh, some of the first few verses and then some of the last verses of the chapter. The words will be on screen, or you may open your Bible on your phone or in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along as well. Paul writes this to the church in Galatians. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I asked, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing in what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, before coming to the faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law, excuse me, yes. So the law that was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now, that, that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have seen in your childhood that, that movie, uh, The Sound of Music. The, the Sound of Music, this beautiful story of the Von Trapp family and how they, they needed a governess. These, uh, f- these children, I think uh, a dozen of them or so, ages 5 through 16, they burn through a number of governesses, one after the other. They behave so poorly. They scare them out. They, they, they send them home. And finally, they get their favorite governess, Maria, this young woman from the abbey up the way. Now, these kids have gotten way out of line. They, they don't think they need a governess. And they, they, they do warm up to her eventually, little by little. Now, the oldest girl, Liesel, she thinks she doesn't need a governess. She's 16. And Maria quickly tells her, well, then I'll be your friend. And then Liesel gets herself into trouble. She, she's out dancing in the rain with this handsome young messenger. And Maria covers for her, standing up to her father. And Liesel finally admits that maybe she does need a governess. And the rest of the kids do. Then they thrive under her loving yet firm guidance. And they, they need a governess to show them the way to live. 
Now here in, in Galatians, we see Paul writing to a church that has gotten way out of line. And Paul writes them this letter very firmly, very strongly pointing them back to the truth of Jesus Christ. They, they've gotten the, the cart before the horse. They need the law, but just for guidance. But above all, they need Jesus. Now, we might need to take a step back and remember where we were. See, Paul is writing this letter to a letter of churches in Galatia. That's a a region in the middle of modern-day Turkey today. And these are Gentile believers. They're some of the first Gentile believers. They heard Paul's message on his first missionary journey, and they believed. They received the Holy Spirit. And now someone has come along and told them that, no, they, they need to keep the Jewish law to really, truly be saved. And Paul is confused and, frankly, furious at what has happened. And this controversy may sound a little bit familiar because that's what we heard happen last week. Last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas uh, confront a similar group of people in their hometown of Antioch. The, the question was, do Gentiles, have to become, do Gentiles who follow Jesus have to become Jews? Do they have to follow the law of Moses all the way up to and including circumcision? Well, they couldn't come to an agreement right there. So they, they sent some representatives up to Jerusalem. And they escalated the problem up to the hires up. And they gathered a group of elders and apostles together there in Jerusalem to have this famous council of Jerusalem. And the elders and, and, and apostles and everyone debated for a long time, what should we do about this question? They heard from all the different sides. They saw that Gentiles have already received the Spirit, some said. So, so what can we say? What can we do? Paul and Barnabas spoke about their experience seeing God work signs and wonders among the Gentiles. And finally, James got up. James got up and pointed everyone to Scripture. And this was part of God's plan all along, he said. Uh, We should not make things hard for the Gentiles. We we should encourage them to live like sojourners, like Gentiles, uh, like uh, foreigners living among Jews. Uh, live in a way that doesn't cause offense to each other. Live in such a way that you can eat together at table, that you can share communion at table together. Now, this letter to the Galatian churches is part of that whole controversy, and that makes it one of Paul's very first letters that he wrote. In fact, if you think about it, this was probably written before any of the Gospels were written. This is one of the earliest documents we have from the early church. And uh, it's not entirely clear whether Paul wrote it right before or right after that big council in Jerusalem. And there are arguments either way. Well, uh, but it comes down to this for me. Don't you think Paul would have mentioned the council's decision in his letter if he had written it after the council? Well, he doesn't in the letter. So that leads me to think that probably it was written a little bit before the council's decision, before the issue was completely settled. But Paul had heard what was going on in Galatians, and he was furious and wanted to set things straight with them. So Paul makes here his strongest case for grace. In fact, he might even come off a bit harsh sometimes. I mean, he calls the Galatians foolish. He says, did someone put a hex on you? Did someone give you the evil eye? You can tell he's frustrated with the Galatians. Like, didn't I preach the gospel to you? Didn't, was not the word of God proclaimed in your midst? Didn't you believe the good news? Didn't you believe that Jesus saves you by grace? Uh, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit? Then why, then why, oh why, are you going back to the law? The law can't save you. It never could. Now, the trouble with the Galatians is that they think they need to keep the law in order to be part of God's covenant blessings. And that's bad enough, says Paul, but the bigger problem is this. If you believe that, then why Jesus? What's the point of Jesus' life and death and resurrection? And it's a fair question. 
But the problem is not quite so simple as law versus grace. Uh, we know from contemporary Jewish texts from around this time that the way people thought about uh, law-keeping is sort of like we do. It's, it's our response to God's covenant blessings. We, God blesses us in the covenant, and we respond in faithful living. God saved his people in Egypt first. Remember, he got them out of Egypt through the Exodus and redeemed them from, from slavery and brought them to the promised land. Then he gave them the law on Mount Sinai. God's grace comes first, even, even before the law. Keeping the law is a response to that. But the problem is that somehow by this time, they, they've put the cart ahead of the horse. They've, they've gotten the law in front of the grace. Uh, one commentator says, uh, keeping the law went from being a sign that you were a true believer to being the way that you became a true believer. It went from being a sign that you were a true believer to being the way you were a true believer. And that's happened to Jews, and that's happened to Christians too over the years. I think maybe especially it's happened to us Protestant Christians in the centuries after, after the Reformation. I mean, we, we split with other Christians over the tiniest little theological issues. Do we sing the Psalms or, or hymns? Do we believe in infant baptism or adult baptism? Do we have women in leadership or not? Do we engage in our culture or do we step back and withdraw from it completely? And sometimes these uh, second-level or third-level issues uh, uh, become more important to us than the first-level essentials. Jesus saves us. The Bible is God's Word. God is a three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are the things that unite all Christians in all times and all places. That is what we should be focusing on. One way I've heard this kind of law-living creep into Reformed churches is at the Lord's table. Maybe you haven't seen it here, but I've heard of Reformed Christians who won't take the Lord's Supper, communion, because they're not sure that they're truly saved. They have such a strong view of their sin, which is good, but they lack this even stronger view of God's grace. They're not sure that they're among the elect, so they won't come to the Lord's Supper. I've heard about it happening in Reformed, uh, conservative Reformed churches in, in the U.S., in Canada, in the Netherlands, uh, and it seems strange to me, a little bewildering and, and frankly wrong. Why? Well, to, to quote Paul, it's, it's foolish to think that you could do something, that something you do could be stronger than what God has already done through grace for you. And maybe you think those people are, are, are strange, or, or, or maybe you've felt that way yourself, like there's something you did that makes you feel unworthy of God's grace. Uh, don't let that keep you from receiving the Lord's Supper. Uh, of, of course you should confess your sin, but don't let any sin lingering in within you against your will uh, keep you from coming to God's table to receive his mercy. And that, by the way, is almost a direct quote from the, the pre-communion liturgy that we read every Sunday before we have communion. It's there for that very reason. God's grace is stronger than our sin. Now, Paul is basically saying the same thing to the Galatians. He's saying, look, you can't go back now. You started with the Spirit. You cannot go back to the law. And then he takes them back even further. Instead of pointing to Moses and the law, he goes back to Abraham, to the father of all the Jewish people. He says, Abraham received God's blessing first, before the law. See, God chose Abraham and called him out of his homeland in, in Genesis chapter 12. And God promised Abraham, all peoples on earth, all families, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. 
And then a second time in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham and promises to bless him by giving him descendants that are uh, that number like the stars in the sky. And these blessings come without strings attached. They come by pure grace. And then, and then the third time comes. The third time in chapter 17, God blesses Abraham. And then God gives that first little kernel of the law, uh, circumcision as the mark of the covenant. But blessing comes first, before law. Now, in the same way, Paul says God's blessing and grace comes to us first, not before the law. Not that the law was unnecessary, he says. It was good. God told the Israelites to keep the law. And even Jesus kept the law. But the law was not meant to be permanent. It was this guidepost. It was a sign along the way pointing us to Jesus. It wasn't the thing in itself. It, it pointed to God's covenant blessing. And here Paul comes up with this metaphor of, of guardians or, or like a governess. Someone who keeps watch over a young person. This, this child who's not come of age, who is not yet able to be an heir and receive in the covenant blessings fully. They, they need protection. They need guidance. They need teaching. And that's what the law does. The law serves these purposes and it does it well. But now that faith in Christ completes the law, it is no longer necessary, says Paul. We, we are all children of God by faith. And you might think that this, this faith has something to do with you. Uh, you believed, after all. Uh, Paul says to the Galatians in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Does God give you his spirit and work his miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? By works of the law or by your believing what you heard? See, for, for Paul, receiving the Spirit is proof of faith. And the question is, does that come from doing the law or from believing what you heard? Now, there's a little problem there because believing even sounds like something that you do. Believing sounds like we're still doing something to receive this grace, but, but that's not the case. Uh, in fact, that little phrase in Greek, believing what you heard, could very well be translated as the, the faith that, prompted, that was prompted in you by the message you heard. In other words, you heard this message and faith was prompted. Faith arose within you. In other words, the message of the gospel by the Spirit prompts us to believe. And even believing is something the Spirit does within us. The, the proof is in the pudding. Paul says, you believed, and I know it because the Spirit is in you. You received the Spirit on both ends, before and after, prompting faith and acting in power. And for Paul, it all comes out in unity. This work of the Spirit, because God's grace, God's blessing from the law, it, it, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer slave or free, male or female. We who believe, the church, the followers of Jesus, are one in Christ Jesus. And that's where it all works out. That's why this whole question of grace and law matters so much to Paul. Now, God's grace comes before anything we can do or, or be. And for followers of Jesus, our primary identity is in Jesus Christ. We're part of his body, the church. And in the church, there can be no divisions between ethnicities or religious backgrounds, between social status or culture, between men or women. Not that these things don't matter to God. They do. But our fundamental identity is in Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's true descendants. Abraham's true descendants. You, you get to be part of these covenant blessings that God has for you. These blessings that began with Abraham and continue to this day. And it's a blessing that is stronger than the law. Stronger than any rules human people can invent. Because it comes first. 
God's grace is before our sinful actions. God's grace is wider than any human divisions that we can come up with. God's grace is, is greater than our sin. God's grace is so great, Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. When, when Maria became governess of the Von Trapp family, she had no idea what she was in for. You see, not just with the kids who learned to obey her and to learn from her, but, but with the father who fell in love with her and she married him and becomes the children's stepmother. And she continues to teach and discipline them, not just as a governess, but as a, a loving mother. Some people ask, why do we need the law if we have Jesus? And others ask, why do we need Jesus if we have the law? But for Paul, the, the law is not gone after Christ. We don't throw it out entirely. Instead, it becomes for us something different. It becomes a, a guide, a friend, a loving parent, and it points us in the way of righteousness. It points to Christ. And Christ doesn't do away with the law completely. He becomes the completion of it. He becomes the end point of it, the fulfillment of the law, the fullness of the law. And we are found in Christ because we become part of him of his life, of keeping the law, and his death of fulfilling the scriptures. We become part of his dying and rising, and we become one with him in the spirit. We no longer live for ourselves or for the law. We live for him. And we do it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, your grace to us in Jesus Christ goes far beyond our imagination and our understanding. And we, 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 we wonder at your grace, at the marvel of it, at the, the, the extent of it, and how it washes us clean and, and covers us and sustains us in lives of faithfulness. And we pray that we may always uh, have the grace of Jesus Christ be our center, and not any keeping of the law or following rules or doing certain things, but always knowing that Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, has washed us clean. We trust that, that even as we get caught up sometimes in little bits of legalism and worrying about our sin and ourselves, that we may always be pointed and prompted and pushed by your spirit to belief, to trust, to faith, and, and to knowing that your covenant blessings, your grace for us, goes far, far before anything that we could ever do. You've already done it for us. And so we give you thanks and praise for, in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We respond in thanksgiving to what Jesus has done for us in grace by singing a hymn that speaks of the, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's